Hello, welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am your host, Carl Cooper, with me as always. Dave Gurney. And a very, very <laughs> special guest here in the studio with us this evening, Anthony Zocalillo. Hello, thank you. I'm so glad that I didn't have to say his last name because I've never known. Uh, I, I hope I got that. it right. It was <laughs> close enough. <laughs> Zocalillo? Yes. There you okay, go. jeez. Zocalillo. I wonder why I was going to. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> uh, Anthony is a colleague of mine and a friend of mine and the friend of the show. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and friend of the show. We'll, we'll get, <laughs> hey, you came out to our one live oh, taping. So, true. yeah, uh, I mean, yes. that's definitely friend of the okay, show territory. Sure. Yes. For sure. Um, so, and, and perhaps a little bit later in the episode, we'll get into why I was so excited to try to get Anthony uh, to record with us tonight. Uh, not not the least of which is actually to fill the third seat here because Joe is uh, is not with us this yeah. evening. He is with us in in spirit in the world, but yeah. uh, not with us here in the studio. He couldn't be. Uh, but but it's great because Anthony has some uh, particular expertise that I think is going to be helpful as we wade through the waters of the film that uh, is the primary one for this episode: Todd Phillips' Joker. But before we get to the movie, as Definitely always... we can't get to this movie before. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I feel like I needed to drink throughout the film, and I'm going to need to drink while we watch, which yeah. I didn't, actually. I went to a 9 a.m. screening. Oh, wow. And, yeah, so. But, uh, but I'm going to drink now. And There's this... nothing wrong with the breakfast beer, by the way. I just want to put it out there. <laughs> no judgment. That no judgment. Beer in a movie does not discriminate against breakfast beers. That's true. You can't do it on Sundays, though. Ah, uh, that's right. No, not here. Yeah, right. Uh, but but anyhow, uh, Velvet Tuxedo, this is an imperial stout from uh, Westbrook Brewing out of South Carolina, and it's in collaboration with Three Sons Brewing. They are based out of Florida, and it clocks in at 12%. I'm trying to see if there's any other description here. It's uh, ultra smooth chocolate and cherry imperial stout. A blend of the base re- recipes for Three Sons Summation and Westbrook Mexican Cake, which I have had the Mexican cake before. And uh, they age it for 22 months in Cabernet barrels. Hot damn. And finish it on <laughs> co- cocoa nibs and dried tart cherries. So I'm going to get our glasses. That's some serious shit. Uh, well, this is a serious, serious film, I think, right? Is it serious? I don't I, know. Yeah. I but can't, it's, I can't it, tell. <laughs> pouring dark is midnight here. No. And uh, much like the film, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's not a whole lot of light coming through in that one, is there? That's a good. Hey, look, Anthony's making these uh, these good connections Fitting here right in. already. That's yeah. Um, but what do you think? What's the nose on this one, Carlos? Are you getting uh, cherry? Or are you getting chocolate? Is it? Uh, yeah, I am getting both of those things. I'm getting booze. Oh my Definitely gosh, I'm getting, getting booze. booze and and Cabernet. Actually, I'm getting. Yeah. Wine. That's yeah. interesting. That's the most wine I've gotten in the nose of something aged in wine barrels, beer-wise. I would, I would agree with that. I think maybe it's the way that it's uh, tickling my nose hairs that uh, is that resembles some tartness uh, that a cherry would yeah. kind of give. Uh, maybe not as much chocolate in the smell as uh, right. you may expect. But I agree. More it, more fruit. I'm yeah, getting more like more the grape sure. and the cherry. But maybe it's in the you know in in the actual flavor profile. And we will find out as we sip on it and get into this um, reimagining of the Joker character, right? This much talked about film. I mean, it was when we heard this film was coming out and the buzz around it, we knew we were going to have to tackle this, right? As a, any self-respecting podcast about movies yeah. was going to have to uh, have to tackle this one. Yes, yeah. and you know. 
I've been very outspoken on this podcast about wanting to leave comic book movies behind uh, in my own, you know, viewing uh, time, the time that I have to watch movies. I'm kind of just like, maybe not for me anymore, especially the Marvel ones. But this one was a little more interesting, given that you have someone making the shift from comedy to drama. You've got, you know, an incredible talent in Joaquin Phoenix leading the thing. Right. And you have a movie that's taking a comic book character that is going super far out of its way to say this is not involved with the comics. It's a separate take. It's not involved with any extended universe or... You know, it's not a sequel to something, whatever, and and we're uh, not going to make a sequel, and uh, right. Although the, yeah, <laughs> with the box office, and, yeah, we don't know if they'll hold to that. But at least yeah. they were pitching it as this isn't going to lead into a series. Yes. This isn't going yes. to. So be- we're not trying to launch anything with it. We're just trying to tell an interesting story, a different take on a eighty-year-old or almost eighty-year-old iconic yeah figure in pop culture. And I, I found that to be kind of interesting, especially the trailers that we saw and everything that you know we were seeing from Joaquin Phoenix. And then, of course, if that wasn't enough, building up to it, the r- ridiculous fanfare it got at the Venice Film Festival was mm-hmm. enough to entice even the most indifferent of moviegoers. Right. And when it comes, not that I don't think anything was indi- anyone was indifferent to it, but yeah, you know, all of those things you got to see it. Right. Right. But but essentially taking us um, through an origin story for this very particular villain character associated with Batman, but but doing it so early in the Batman universe that it creates that you don't even really have Batman. You you just have the origin story of the Joker, which is an interesting approach. I think um, with maybe only and I haven't even seen the film. I, I apologize, but Suicide Squad Ooh. being. <laughs> Well, th- right, but that was the film that like focused only on villains, right? Yeah. There, there was yeah. I mean, Suicide Squad in its in and of itself is inherently a story about villains, where um, you know, like a government agency takes the world's most diabolical villains that are currently serving prison right. sentences and tries to harness that evil and chaos for a better yeah. purpose that maybe you know isn't suited for our traditional heroes usually involves a lot of violence and things like that um but yeah that was the first joker we saw after heath ledger played by jared leto which like what a fucking joke that movie was yeah it was terrible people seem to hate that oh it was terrible yeah Yeah. look man this is a suicide squad was a movie in which will smith was one of the stars and i still didn't like it i mean that's like for anyone that (laughs) listens to this podcast regularly knows that i i mean I defended After Earth when that movie came out. I'm such a diehard Will Smith fan. Thank goodness and, we weren't doing the podcast. <laughs> and <laughs> I could, I mean, I tried so hard for like the week after Suicide Squad came out to rationalize it not being garbage. Right. And I've just come to terms with the fact that it's like, it's such a bad movie. Yeah. I mean. Well, so there we go. There, there's a little bit of precedent, but definitely yeah. taking it in a darker direction, as mm-hmm. Anthony was pointing to earlier. Um than almost any comic book films. I mean, obviously, we can talk about how the Dark Knight trilogy had kind of that kind of cycle, well, more philosophical darkness to it, although yeah. there was definitely some of the, the character psychology that it was getting into. But this one being so much about 
character psychology, which gets me back to what I was saying earlier, why I was excited to have Anthony on, because Anthony is a psychologist, and he, uh, and he and I have actually even taught film and psych side by side, and a lot of what he brought to the equation that I loved was when we would talk about things like character psychology and especially depictions of mental illness. Right. And this film is certainly pitching the Joker character as one who begins as a very mentally ill young man who sort of spirals out of control due to his mental illness. I don't know. How do, how do you read it? It was more like how society reacts to his mental illness. Yeah, I actually thought there was a, there was a really kind of cool part, um, one of the few um, <laughs> cool parts, um, where he was writing down, and I have, to, I have to look this up because I'll never remember the quote, but he was like, oh, the worst part about having a mental illness is people expect you to behave like you don't. Right, And it was right. one of the things yes. he wrote in yep. his journal. Yep. And I thought that that was kind of telling uh, especially as he was trying to navigate this sort of post-asylum world where he was getting the counseling through the social services, right? clearly not addressing his needs the way they needed to be, and he was kind of using that journal as sort of this quasi-joke journal, yeah, yeah. you know, and ravings of a madman. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, and how that kind of just kept coming up throughout the movie, you just kind of always refer to, to his yeah. little notebook. Um, yeah, yeah. But it, it, it definitely... The slow descent to madness right. theme yeah. is what it was trying to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Can, 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 can we tell what I thought about this film yet? Yeah, no, hey, hey, if you're ready, I guess the only reason I'm holding back, because often we do kind of start out like, so what'd you think of this one? Yeah. And I'm, as I said to you both, as I'm, kind of, I'm still wrestling with this one, to be honest. I'm not ready to dismiss it outright. There are things that I really liked about it. But then there are some things that I'm really concerned about with it. So yes, Very I'm totally, concerned. I'm totally ready to hear what what your take is. Well, I just saw the movie this afternoon, so uh -huh. I've had the least amount of time to digest this. Not uh, by a large margin, though. Well, yeah, no, that's true. Not by a huge margin. Sure, but you both had a at least about, at, at least a hours, day. Yeah. At least we could at sleep on day. it. Yeah, I um, saw it Sunday. This is Monday now. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Okay, so. I feel the same as David. I do not want to totally dismiss this movie because for much of it, I liked where it was going. Okay. Um, I felt disappointed in the end, though. Okay, um, okay. And that's really... I think it committed some fatal flaws in terms of trying to develop a character with mental illness. I thought it was doing a good job for a while staying away from some of the major mental illness tropes. Okay. Even though it also adhered to some of them as well. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that the way that it took the ending, and we could talk about that. I don't know how you guys do this, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to. We don't either. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I certainly don't want to jump right I, into the very yeah, end, yeah, yeah. Um, but because I think that there's some other parts along well, the way. Well, could you, could you at least say, because I'm curious, you say there was a point where it became clear to you that it was going in the wrong direction. Do you Can you think of a scene or an action that he took that just you felt like, ooh, okay, no, this is going the wrong direction? So... I didn't... So I actually thought, going into it, I thought it was going to be a horrible depiction of mental illness. Mm -hmm. That's I had the bar set really low. Right. And actually, through most of it, I was pleasantly surprised. And that's not saying I liked it, because it was still a poor portrayal, but it was better than I thought. Yeah. Uh, it still adhered to some of sort of the major myths, the links between mental illness and violence. Yes. That's a, yep. that's a big one. 
the traumatic etiology, so this idea that all mental illness is born out of a traumatic childhood. Yeah. Um, it sort of really played with that. And that was where the first sort of switch when he learns that. That's late, yes. that's yeah, late, late in the film. That's that is late in the film. Getting into like that last act, yeah. right? I mean, that's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely last act. Okay. Um, when when you learn he's adopted yeah. and, you know, he had this, you know, horrific, you know, upbringing and you learned a little bit more about his mom and the boyfriend and all of that. And I was yeah. like, hey, okay, you know, we're starting to explain it in very stereotypical ways. Mm-hmm. This is concerning, not completely unexpected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was probably my first concern, although I did like the way that they treated some of his delusional thinking during the movie. And again, we'll address the ending at some point, but mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the idea that you learn later on that, you know, a lot of the stuff with the neighbor. Yeah. And I'm bad with character names. And, uh, I don't remember her name, but God. Zazie Beetz. Yeah. I was yeah say Zazie Beetz. Sophie was the character's yeah. name, yeah. but yeah, it's not said a whole lot in no. the film. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the idea that she's woven into the, the narrative as this neighbor, the sympathetic neighbor who yeah. is believable that they would have had that relationship that they had. Disagree. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but it, was, it wasn't I, completely unbelievable, maybe. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't insanely far-fetched, but when I was watching it, I was like, there's no way. <laughs> like, I was... During those sequences where she's, like, into him, uh-huh. I was kind of mad about it because I was like, this is crazy. Like, there's no way that he can, like, a that he really was able to turn that stand-up performance into something redeemable because right. that seemed really impossible by the point that he was at. And then two that she would leave that thinking like, oh yeah, here's a really cool like <laughs> dude that I want to hang out with. And I was like, how? I mean, this is like peak like mediocre whiteness or whatever you know but he, he would be able to like do that and but then you know obviously but. well the idea that if she had gone there if, if you believe that she would have gone there in the first place right then she might have been enamored with yeah yeah whatever that was yeah 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 and so yeah i i agree you know in retrospect not terribly believable but it 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 capitalized on something that I liked in some other movies that aren't terribly great with schizophrenia, movies like A Beautiful Mind or mm-hmm. Shutter Island, where uh-huh. the audience doesn't quite know yeah, yeah. what's going on. Right. And so you are sort of in his, or the main character's reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that. I like the way the directors right. play with that. Yeah. Um, because it does. And then when the big reveal happens, you're like, oh, shit. You know, yeah. like, it, okay. The big reveal did remind me a lot of A Beautiful Mind, mm-hmm. so I'm glad you brought that yep. up. Because that yeah. was the first thing I thought yep. of. Yeah. there. I mean, it, it is a very subjective film, like in terms of its narration, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's clear that... So much of it is happening. Th- you're you're processing everything through Arthur, right? The mm-hmm. the Joaquin Phoenix, soon to be Joker character, and so yeah, put, putting in those kind of you know fantasy sequences that that he would have. I mean, it ma- it makes sense. I mean, there there's something that, ha- that hangs together there narratively, and I think you know my my reaction, I think is pr- is pretty close to yours in the sense that that you know early on in the film I was appreciating the way it kind of stripped down and humanized so much of this like superhero mythos that had you know that the joker was born into right i mean that that it was a character that was meant to be kind of larger than life and and 
crazy and clownish and, and, you know, this figure of anarchy and everything. But, okay, where does that come from, right? Nobody's quite born that way. So what, what, what happens along the way? And like you say, there are some tropes there, right? Well, childhood trauma, and we come to find that out, you know. The, but, but for the first, you know, two-thirds of the film, you're mostly just following this guy through his daily existence and the way the world is just an unforgiving, unwelcoming place in so many ways. And, and not in a totally unrealistic, I mean, it is bleak, it is dark, it is not a very positive vision of humanity, and there's very few, you know, with, with, with few exceptions, I mean, I guess Sophie is for a while, although then you kind of find out she isn't really, yeah. um, you know, and there's maybe, you know, what, uh, what's the, uh, one of his co-workers there who, who is... Um, the one who he lets go in the apartment there. Randall. Okay. Randall, okay. You know, like, I guess Randall's kind of sympathetic. And he it, is know. for a little bit, but right. in a not very genuine way, mm. <laughs> as we find out. Right, right. But it, but it was, inter- you know, to see this kind of very, I don't know, this very almost socially realist take on the superhero genre, right? Without superheroes. <laughs> like, what happens if we just strip away superheroes and we just show, like, people in a world that's, you know, filled with, um, well, or uh, that lacks kindness, that lacks generosity, and, and what kind of uh, person that's going to kind of breed. And so as a character study, it was sort of interesting. Now, I think, like you say, it eventually, when these shifts happen, when we find out that he's really, all the stuff with Sophie has been fantasy, or when we find out definitively, even if you had a hunch, I guess. Um, <laughs> or, and, and when that switch goes off, when he learns about his childhood trauma, that that, um, that is about where it became really problematic yeah. for me, where, okay. It wasn't until then? No, I mean, <laughs> well, okay. Well, the, well, I'm curious to hear, where, well, no, where no, were your... I, I'll get there in a little bit. I don't want to. <laughs> no, no, that's... I don't want to interrupt, but I, I, I just had to. Yeah, I just had to ask if that was the first time. <laughs> well, that not, you found it problematic. Not exactly the first time okay. that I found it problematic, but it is where I felt the the whole tone of the thing shift into a gear that I wasn't wanting it to shift into. Okay. Um, and and I guess I mean I might as well go there. I mean. I think the thing, one of the things that ended up frustrating me about the film is, okay, you have the Joker, which is this character that's supposed to be this, yes, he's a madman, but he's a criminal mastermind, Mm -hmm. right? And he pulls the strings. He's like every depiction of the Joker I've ever seen has been the Joker is deliberately causing chaos. Yeah, and is brilliant at it. And is brilliant at it. This is not the Joker that we see in this film. That doesn't involve, the Joker, it's like, which there's something like i say there's something disappointing about it and then this is what i've been wrestling with though is there something kind of genius about it at the same time what we have is this joker character that just because he happens to tap into a like a a zeitgeist you know what i mean like that there is this upswell of populist kind of hatred of the wealthy and people misinterpret what he does on the train which we haven't even really covered, but early on in the film, 
there's uh, some Wall Street. Uh, I'm gonna cover it. Don't. <laughs> right. Don't Wall, Wall Street trader types who he ends up shooting, but not because they're Wall Street trader types, just because they are jerks yep. and you well, know, yeah, kind yeah, of defending, the, yeah, he's self defending himself. Yeah. He, he's defending himself, right? But the well, two of them. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the public misinterprets as, yeah. oh, he's lashing out at these, you know, capitalist fat cats who are, you know, making themselves wealthy, and you know, anyway. So, you know, he inadvertently touches off this chaos that he's for and there's no indication that he really grabs the reins i mean i guess in his appearance on the murray franklin show the robert de niro character's uh, talk show there is a deliberateness to what he does like you see that he's kind of planning this out but i don't think he in any way had expectations that oh and then that's going to lead to these things i mean i think he was happy being carted off to jail and then it was just the people who have you know sort of uh, grown up around him who end up pushing him out of there and like making him into their savior or something or what, what, whatever they are, the, their leader figure. So I don't know. It was, it was strange. But I guess, you know, where I'm saying like that disappointed me because it didn't fit the Joker character. But then there was part of me that's like, yeah, but that's it. Like people aren't criminal masterminds. They just happen to be like certain unnamed politicians that I was <laughs> able to tap into a cultural sort of current that's already out there and in a way kind of just surf it you know what i mean and that and that's kind of what this character does towards the end well i had i had <clears throat> excuse me i have no connection between the joker as i've known him and this joker and mm-hmm. and there's no way that i can make the connection whether 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 you interpret it as you know criminal mastermind or like you're saying tapping into something that's already there and sort of riding that wave this joker is not capable of either of those okay Um, right right not consciously surfing the wave yeah Yeah, right um and so this doesn't seem so far removed from any of the other portrayals of joker it's not like we're watching 20 years before any other incarnation of the joker and so there's just a whole other yeah it, yeah. it, it just doesn't seem that this person is going to become that Joker right. that we know. I yeah. agree. Uh, I and agree. so where is that? And I know, again, it's supposed to stand alone, and it's not necessarily supposed to be part of that DC universe, but it still needs to be because of how well we know that story. And, yeah. and he even made a very conscious effort to tie it into the the, the DC universe with the uh, you know the yeah. assassination of I'm, Thomas, Thomas Wayne. Wayne. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, absolutely. And that was a conscious he could have yeah. not done that. Absolutely. And I was I that was some, wish that he wouldn't. Yeah, yeah I actually there, wish there he was, did. Yep, I agree. I there was a big part of me that I agree. I think we're all <laughs> you know that I, it felt a little uh, like after the film that had led to that, it felt really strange, almost like a perfunctory, like okay, but yes, we are going to give you that. Yeah, I mean, they had tied in Thomas Wayne earlier in the film. I mean, he he was a factor in it, which was okay with me. That yeah, part. yeah, but then to have the death in the alley that is yeah. the you know sort of. Canonical genesis of the Batman character, down to the broken pearls. I mean, yeah, a lot of detail. (laughs) (laughs) It's coming. It's coming. (laughs) Look out! Look out, folks! (laughs) For a movie that went so far out of its way to say this isn't related to the comics and it's not any part of. Uh, cinematic universe it went really far out of its way to connect itself to the comics and set itself up to be in a cinematic universe and let me tell you something 
I am so fucking tired of seeing Bruce Wayne's origin story in that fucking alley. Dude, it has been 80 years. We know. Like, we all get it. Even in fucking, like, Batman versus Superman or whatever, we got, like, a 10-minute slow-motion sequence of that. And then in this one, we had to get it to fuck you, like, I'm, like, we know. We get it. And then... Right, for a movie that really seems to want to seek a radical reinvention of a character to then go so far no, into the into canon the normal and, yeah god damn that, that is it, a weird it, move. it pissed me off pissed me off when we saw well, Bruce because it was unnecessary but do you think that was I mean do you think that was pressure from the studio do you think that, or pressure from a narrative standpoint that I, he was worried that if he didn't give DC fans at no. least some no I, yeah. th- I, I think that the uh separation of it from the comics and from the universe or whatever was really just a marketing ploy and that it is going to go into the next batman movie 100 percent. you think so if it yeah because and and the reason that i think that is because and i'm going to jump way way ahead to the very very end is that when he is in arkham asylum and he's in that room with the psychologist and he says like oh no you wouldn't get the joke or whatever and then it cuts to bruce standing next to his dead parents in that alley and mm-hmm. then it cuts back to him and then he walks out of that room bloody footprints obviously having just murdered that right. psychologist and is presumably going to escape jail or escape the asylum right. or whatever i mean that's perfectly setting us up for the first batman movie where joker's out he sees this cowled cape crusader come into town yeah and he's like you know what I'm going to take this guy to task. And then that's the first Robert Pattinson movie. I mean, it's so huh. uh, it's so obvious to me that that's what's going to happen. I would be really shocked if they didn't do that. Right. Especially because they've been trying for, what, a decade now to compete to, with Marvel right, in their universe. Right. And now and now that they have a huge success on their yes, hands. Finally. Be... Even though they don't have a good movie. But they, <laughs> but they do have, a, they do have a, a monetary success on their hand, which they haven't really had before. Since well, Nolan. Well, I was going to say, uh, right, since Nolan, yeah. Aquaman yeah. and Wonder Woman did, yes, did they fairly did. well. Yes, they did, yes. But not in a way that's taken as seriously as this one is. Uh, I feel like Aquaman and Wonder Woman did really well. Wonder Woman did get, you know, positive critical yeah, praise. Yeah, definitely, But definitely. Aquaman, not as much. Um, so I, I do think that they are trying to set that up, and it's going to be... It's the, it's the same way that Sony and Marvel Studios just duped it out over Spider-Man. Like, we always knew they were going to make a deal. <laughs> like, anybody that thought that Spider-Man was actually going to be left out of the MCU right. is a fucking idiot. Like, it's right. obviously a marketing tactic, you know? And it, yeah. they, it was a very successful one. Right. So, like, good for them. Yeah. But I think that that's going to be a thing in this. And I was really, really pissed to see another Bruce Wayne origin story in a movie that didn't have anything to do with Bruce Wayne. Now... Right. <laughs> To go back to, oh, I don't even know where to start with this thing, man. <laughs> well, wait, okay, really let's don't. go back to where, where did you, where was it clear to you that there were problems with this film? Were, from the, out of the gate? Where, oh, were you, yeah, yeah, within like the first 15 minutes or so. I mean, you have a movie here that is not so subtly racist, but also trying to make it seem like it's not. Like the scene on the subway where he kills those, you know, waspy yeah. Wall Street guys is Todd Phillips's, oh, I'm not racist, I have a black friend. You know, like, because the entire movie up until that, you see, like, a gang of, like, presumably Puerto Rican or African-American kids, kids, most likely Puerto Rican, are the first ones to really be super brutal to him in the film. Mm -hmm. And then 
he has the unfortunate like kind of interaction with the black woman and her son who are really mean yeah. to him and then he gets the gun and the first time you see him really do anything active with it he's pointing it at the television at a black actor yeah. and and there's no, i mean that's not an accident you mm-hmm. know like he they could have put any movie on you sure. know he could have been watching the fucking wizard of oz pointing it at the scarecrow or something you know yeah. but they chose that movie at that specific time for him to be pointing this gun mm-hmm. at and then so after all of these really and then of course his like infatuation with zazie beats character who he's like you know kind of fetishizing in a you know kind of way or whatever then you have him it seems like they were trying to like backtrack and like remove the argument of that from the narrative by having him kill three white dudes and then there's also a bunch of you have to think about the time it's gotham but like really gotham is new york city in the dc universe yeah and so we're in an era of the central park five yeah and other uh, there's a a ton of other racial tension in that time period in that place that they're trying to remove who was the subway vigilante there's uh, that bernie Getz. Getz. thank you yeah there's that too um that was that was in an article that I read. It, it, it brought that up, and and you basically have there's really no reason for anybody to take that murder or series of murders as a political act right. until they try to justify it by bringing Thomas Wayne on and saying like, oh, all these poor people are a bunch of clowns. But it seems like that interview that they show with Thomas Wayne seems like an afterthought, and so it's like this very vague and hollow attempt at ascribing intention to them all to the mob but falls short which every other piece of political or social commentary in this film also falls equally as short as that does well i think yeah and it's it's i read this article in the new yorker it's called joker is a viewing experience of rare numbing emptiness (laughs) and uh there were two quotes that i i pulled from it that i thought really kind of aligned with uh the way that I felt about it leaving it. And the first one is what results is more than the strenuous effort to contrive a story uh, with resonant incidents and alluring details. Joker reflects political cowardice on the part of a filmmaker and perhaps of a studio in emptying out the specifics of the city's modern history and current American politics so that the movie can be released as mere entertainment to viewers who are exacerbated with the idea of movies being discussed in political terms, i.e. to Republicans. And then in that same article, there's a quote that says, this isn't so much unhinged as it is unmotivated and to all appearances undirected. Right. And almost every article I found that had favorable things to say about this only focused on Joaquin Phoenix's performance, which, to his credit, is incredible. It is, yeah. He's fantastic in it, and especially since he was given so little to work with in terms of a script and character motivation. Because, we, I mean, we are talking about a truly aimless character in Arthur Fleck. Yeah. So there's that. I mean, I'm watching this movie, and I'm thinking, did Breitbart News produce this (laughs) thing? Like, is this their foray into (laughs) filmmaking? You know, it had this very kind of seedy, like, alt-right kind of undertones to it. And then I also found it to be... I really found the whole thing to be kind of right-wing propaganda in a certain way, because to me it reads as a very anti-Antifa film by taking you know the joker's acts and you know it being used to spark this kind of revolution against the ruling class and the people that are hoarding wealth and subjecting you know right, the right. rest of the population to this you know impoverished way of living and by making that movement in the film revolve around 
the actions of somebody who goes on public television and says that they're not political, that they had no intentions, no meaning, no nothing of doing this. It's like, oh, these are a bunch of mindless idiots that are following somebody with absolutely no intention. Like, look at how ridiculous the le- extreme left is or like any progressive leftist. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I get where you're coming from and, 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 I, and I get where the New Yorker article is coming from. I mean, it really is in some ways bending over backwards to try to make these statements that sort of are like within the world of the film, like sort of self-contradicting that, you know, again, you can read the actions of the character as being feeding into this kind of populist sentiment, but then the character has no interest in that. And yet the character in terms of how he functions is much closer to what you're saying, like more of a typical alt-right kind of character or an incel character where, yeah, he's like, he feels like, he's owed something by the world that the world's not going to give him and thus he goes out and tries to take it and and again so it's like trying to do both things and thus does neither of them very well yeah it does almost nothing in the process which which kind of brings it back to then it then you know and, and if i'm gonna play devil's advocate which I guess I kind of <laughs> for for Todd Phillips and you know in the and the team behind this is you know well they on some level want to make it this kind of character study that doesn't have to be about a particular political movement even though it does kind of feed into this kind of political fervor they want to be they want to try to take that so in a direction that won't allow us to make those easy connections although plenty of people are yeah <laughs> and, and I mean the subject they picked the wrong subject matter to do that because it's way too close to like yeah, things that are yeah. going on to there's no way that you're going to come out of this apolitical like it's right. not the subject matter it makes it impossible and man the the whole thing i don't know i also found it to be um inc- like astoundingly derivative and totally lacking of any kind of imagination or originality in any way, shape, or form, with the exception, every criticism I have of this film, just as a disclaimer, excludes Joaquin Phoenix. I just want to make that clear. Um, He chose to participate in this thing. He he did, which I find suspect, and I find suspect that Mark Maron and Zazie Beetz read the script and said, yeah, I'll do that. Like, I'm very very confused by that. Having heard Mark Maron gush about his experience with it and everything, and especially knowing how much he was against comic book films going into it, I think it had a lot more to do with, I get to do scenes with Robert De Niro. Niro. Oh, for Maron, that's 100% what it was because he also came down on Todd Phillips after his yes I, yeah. it actually he had a great uh, yeah. intro to his which also episode, yeah. that provides a lot of context for what kind of person Todd Phillips is and what he could be getting at in this film those statements it's hard to remove that sentiment that he has from yeah. the reading of the film but it seems like a bunch of like kind of random shit happens to this guy and we're supposed to and on our own, weave it all together in some meaningful way to justify the actions towards the end of the movie. I also find it very problematic that he's such an empathetic character throughout it, and that we're so we're so we're supposed to empathize with a mass murderer. I mean, like, is that the like? I don't understand. Like, what? I mean, if somebody, yeah. well, okay, but 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 there, and, and also my last point, and this is really this is where my criticism ends. Okay, I don't believe this. Is, yeah. I don't believe that. <laughs> Is that well? It, well, it's where my list of he's, he's heard this. He's heard the podcast enough to know that's that true, this is true. yeah. It, this is at least where my list of bullet points that I came into the episode with uh-huh. is, is that it seems like Todd Phillips is sitting in his house 
thinking to himself, man, I really like that movie Taxi Driver. Man, I really like that movie King of Comedy. How man, could I remake those? What if, we, what if we put the two together? Man, how, how could I get away with doing that? Oh, maybe right. if I feed into this comic book thing and use a pre-existing intellectual property, a studio would let me do it. Hmm, I wonder how I can make it. <laughs> and then he takes that, I mean, copy and paste imagery from those two films, yeah. like very blatantly. Sure, but absolutely. then also takes entire sequences and like setups and uh, camera angles and shots and everything from Nolan's trilogy even goes uh, you know from tim burton stuff this man even went as far as to rip off joel fucking schumacher who is obviously the worst <laughs> director to ever touch the franchise i mean there were scenes and i was like man that is a shot from batman forever like that will, is... will he remain as the uh, worst director to have touched the franchise after after this for you yeah, yeah. okay okay yeah. still still Nobody... his transgressions are worse than uh, well, todd phillips nothing nothing can be worse than being on set having an actor be like oh i don't know if my character would do this or say this i don't know if this is the right motivation and for a director to be like it doesn't matter it's a comic book movie yeah it doesn't get worse than that that's i mean so joel schumacher will forever be the worst okay but, i agree with that yeah, yeah but so I also, you know, at least give me a good movie if you're not going to give me a kind of point to it. But I don't think that they really did that. I'd seen it before. I'd seen everything in this movie before, again, with the exception of Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I would have liked the second viewing of this because this is the stuff I didn't get a chance to chew over because I was too busy watching for the for the plot and yeah. character. Like, I wasn't, like, looking at subtext, and these are the things I've been kind of chewing over. But, I mean... You know, as I was kind of thinking about it, and even when I was in there, I was like, "Well, if I wanted to see a movie about this disenchant and eh, enfranchised middle-aged white guys, I'll just go back and watch Fight Club." You know, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and they're falling down. <laughs> yeah, or, or, to go yeah. back to Schumacher. Yeah, right. Um, so, I mean, certainly there was. I was taking some of those things out of there. I didn't quite get to where you guys are. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I definitely felt like this was. You said derivative earlier. It was cut rate philosophy, philosophizing throughout the entire film. And I, I really agree with you. I think the movie said nothing. I enjoyed it up until a point because I was like, all right, where's this going? I was curious. It held my attention. I like you, Joaquin Phoenix. I, I thought he was amazing. Uh, I was sort of paying attention because I thought it was going to be an awful portrayal of mental illness and it was just bad. Uh, <laughs> um, so pleasantly surprised there. Um, but then the ending and that to me just told me that that movie between shoehorning the origin story in there and then yeah. the final scene in arkham that movie was afraid of itself it didn't know where it wanted yeah. to go and it's yeah, a good way to put and it todd phillips gave himself it. an out yeah yeah uh, just just very quickly for anybody that's listening if you're listening to this before you've seen the film which i feel like most people won't do but the, <laughs> the ending that we keep referring to uh joker's or at the time, Arthur Fleck, I guess, does a really terrible stand-up set. Uh, it gets shown on this talk show. Um, Murray Franklin, was that what it was? Yes. Uh, the, yeah. Played by Robert De Niro. They ridicule him, invite him on the show to talk to him, presumably to bring to him To kind of make fun, fun of, of him. him, yeah. Yeah, but, but at this point, he's off his meds. He's snapped. He's killed another dude. He's killed his mom. He's killed he's, his mom. Uh, and and potentially killed the Sophie character. That That's kind of left yeah. ambiguous. Yeah. It yeah. is, yeah. And so he goes on this show... We see before that he's planning on killing himself on it, uh, is what we're led to believe. Goes on and is like, "Oh, you guys, you know, I killed these people on the subway. Fuck all of you. You brought me on to make fun of me. Like, you know, you get what you fucking deserve." Shoots Robert De Niro in the face. 
uh, on live television and then proceeds to like, you know, get arrested and then get rescued by the mobsters, dance on a cop car, ends up in Arkham, kills the psychologist, tries to escape. That's the whole ending that we're, yeah. you know. Yeah. Or, or is that not the sequence? Or is this the entire thing a lost moment this a unreliable uh, unreliable narrator none of this happened yeah and i thought about is, that a this, little bit. and that's where i thought he was weak i thought that that yeah. ending i thought if it ended without the shoehorning of the of the um of the origin story and him just on the car dancing because that was there were some that really, would have been a good ending that were, there were some really cool moments yeah like, he's a good dancer Gary Glitter Gary Glitter soundtrack notwithstanding <laughs> that scene on the steps was actually that was such cool. a weird choice it was, too. It was, it was a I mean, very weird I, I get I get that that song I mean so we're talking about rock and roll part two <laughs> the hey song yeah. and, you know. we're, hey! Talking, we're talking about another very questionable decision <laughs> right. in which messaging right which is you know like kind of like as he has fully embraced this the you madness. know the madness it, him, you get this shot of him walking down the hall. You know th- this shot that's following him from behind, and then it cuts to him very coming dramatic. down this yeah. very large staircase that he's gone yeah. up several times in the film. But here he's descending it and dancing in this very sort of dramatic, performative way to that song, which it was such a weird, weird. weird yeah. Which. I couldn't decide whether or not I was impressed by it or just disgusted by I it. I thought and, I was going to like it. And add scene. in, which other people have already, the fact that Gary Glitter has been outed as a pedophile <laughs> for over long 20 ago, years yeah, now. Long yeah, long ago. Um, uh, anyway, but one, one point that the I just wanted... The use of White Room was good, though. Yeah. The oh, that was, that was yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah, the use of White Room was good. W- w- one, little, one little thing that I want to throw in there, as Carlos was talking and, and you were kind of talking about, I, I can't remember exactly what triggered it now, actually, but <laughs> but I, I did tell. think there was something there in terms of, and, and why, like, as much as I think I'm not happy with this film, I think, you know, I, this is one of my most mixed-feeling films that we've reviewed because I'm not ready to fully dismiss it. And one of the reasons why I'm not ready to fully dismiss it is it feels like a film that's sort of obsessed with our obsession with antiheroes right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it seems like the last couple decades we have spent sort of you know, just working through this fascination that we have culturally with antiheroes, you know, whether it be, you know, television, like Walter White, Breaking Bad, or these, you know, Deadpool, that in, in, in this film, in some ways, seems to feed right into that. But at the same time, it, like you said, like, I'm supposed to empathize. I think that's what it, you yeah. were talking about. Like, am I supposed to empathize with this guy? And it really does. It pulls you in. And I think through Joaquin Phoenix's performance gets you, because it isn't the writing. I agree with that. <laughs> that through his performance, it pulls you in. It makes you feel for him. And at a certain point, I think, yeah, you do have to kind of sever that connection. You do, hopefully. <laughs> Please, everybody listening to this, hopefully. sever that connection. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> but. But then it gets you to think about, like, well, why was I going along with it for so long? Like, clearly he was on a bad path. Clearly he wasn't reacting the right way. I mean, anyway. So th- so I do think there's something very timely about this film and that it lands at a moment where I think we've spent all this time thinking about antiheroes and seeing stories about antiheroes. And is this maybe pushing us to a point where we're breaking with the antihero thing? Could, are, we, are we moving away? Or will we move away from the fascination with it after a film like this? No. 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 That, there's just something psychologically pleasing about an antihero. So mm-hmm. I don't think this is going to do anything to 
quelch that at, right. at all. Uh, but it definitely pushed that over the limit where you, you did question, like, well, wait a minute. Like, yeah. Why, yeah, why am I following th- this character? And I yeah. agree with both of you. It had nothing to do with the writing. It, yeah. it, it had everything to do with Joaquin Phoenix. Because yeah. he was that sympathetic character. Yeah. Man, he, I, he salvaged the way the, that. The way the film lingers on his body, <laughs> let me just, like, there, there's a couple, well, not just a couple, there's a bunch of shots in there where it's, like, him shirtless, yep. and he's arched over in these really, like, yeah. strange, and he's obviously, like, so emaciated, and just, like, the ribs sticking out. It's very machinist. Yeah. Yes, right, exactly, right. That that, that would be Again, the closest another, point of comparison. Another film is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, any any final thoughts before well, we? I have a question. Is there a film that you can think of that does do mental illness well? Mm. That is a decent depiction. Well, that's interesting. Way to put me on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I was. Gonna... I appreciate that. <laughs> why? Well, well, I just I just feel like it's something that you've thought about before. So no, I, thought, yeah. I thought maybe you had. Yeah, I only lecture on this all the time. Yeah, so yeah. exactly. Um, Not on the spot. Yeah, no, no. Um, so it, it's trying to work its way around schizophrenia or some other psychosis. It, it, again, doesn't do a great job, but certainly has the hallucinations and delusions, the hallmarks. Um, and so a couple of my favorites are movies that nobody's probably ever seen. Okay. Um, and I think I've all the to, more reason to recommend yeah. them. Yes. Um, and actually, I, I think I've talked to David about a few of these and I actually wrote these down. So I knew you were going to ask me. <laughs> um, a couple of my favorites. There's a movie from the early 90s called Clean Shaven. I think okay. it was Australian. Um, yeah. Really, really good. Um, Julian Donkey Boy. I know you guys are mm-hmm. Harmony. We've talked from, about yeah. um, And one of my favorites is a David Cronenberg film from 2002 called Spider. Okay. Um, I'm familiar with that one. All three of those uh, do... The the problem with doing schizophrenia right is it's not terribly going to be Hollywoodized. It's just... it's it's The way that you need to portray it is very, very subtle. um, And it's not going to fit into the Hollywood blockbuster. So when you look at... And we talked about Beautiful Mind earlier. It's the best and worst film I've ever seen that does schizophrenia because it takes so many liberties because it's a big Hollywood film. Yeah. But I think it treats it in a way that tries to move it away from some of the myths and, you know, some of the horrible sort of stigmatizing images. Um, So, you know, when I look at at those films, you know, those are all done really well. Most of them, any film's usually poor. Yeah. 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 Uh, They they took some liberties, though, with his disorder. He's, being from New Jersey, he was a Princeton staple. So anybody who grew up in that area. Are you oh, from New Jersey? Yes, I am. Okay. <laughs> um, which actually, so this this film had also sort of a warm spot for me because a lot of it was filmed in the New York, New Jersey area. Yeah. Um, and so like the opening scenes is downtown Newark and uh, uh, the riot scene or the the protest scene was the Hudson County Courthouse. And oh, those, is that and right? those steps oh, okay. that we were talking about earlier in the Bronx and it's pretty, yeah. it's a pretty famous Location, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a lot of familiar locale. So it was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm a little homesick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It it did seem of all of the Batman related films, the one that put New York in New Jersey closest to Gotham mm. that we've ever seen. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Literally, yeah. They were they were most there. of it was shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah, overall. Wanted to like it a lot more than I did, and I know that I'm the guy that doesn't like the stuff and I whatever, but I, I just, I just couldn't, I yeah. couldn't shake the ickiness that I felt I, because I, of some of the political undertones. I definitely it, feel know? it too. I think it, to me, it's a film that was really aspiring to do some really interesting things, and I think the idea of taking an iconic 
uh, superhero villain and making a dark sort of character study of that and and how like what factors might play into a villain becoming a villain it's it's an interesting proposition it's a great idea i i think that it could be executed really really well i don't think this was that film yeah but it is interesting that you know it's very successful i think it's going to be one of those films that a lot of people are going to be talking about for a long time joe who isn't who isn't on the podcast today um did share with us before the episode that his son uh who saw it who's who's just college age right now loved it and thought that it was you know sort of this uh i can't even remember he had like a quote but it was basically yeah. like it's it's as close to seeing real life as he's going to see on the street <laughs> which you know again he's a young man he's going to see a lot more films he's yeah. gonna, he he's probably gonna hasn't seen taxi driver or king of comedy which we'll be talking I, about i would in imagine the second that half. he's seen taxi driver well we'll have to ask joe next time but i'll give hunter some um time. yeah he's no he's he's seen a lot of films yeah. for sure um but it, but i do think that this is going to be a film that's going to be talked about for a while and whether or not there are going to be films that do this thing better than it we'll see but i don't know i think there's going to be people trying given how successful this is for sure a good friend of the show uh josh tillion who's been the projectionist not the musician uh that's been on the podcast before who who we spoke uh with with about lords of chaos lords of chaos Yeah. yeah uh he said that it was a good enough movie, but could have been great with a better director. And based on what you just said, I think that that's very yep. agreeable. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I just think Joaquin deserved better. Yeah. And De Niro. But we'll talk about De Niro in the second half. So before we do that, though, we do like to touch back on the beer here. And yeah. Velvet Tuxedo, I have a feeling this is hitting some of your sweet spots. No? Like yeah? yeah? You like, like it? it? Yeah, yeah. I could use, I mean... To me, it's it's almost a little too dry on the end, which is a weird thing because I don't often think of myself as wanting sweet beers, but it, it's almost like it dries off in the finish, and I and I maybe attribute that to the wine, yeah, the, the wine barrel. Uh-huh. It's like it kind of dries off on the end in a way that I'm kind of just wanting it to stay sweet, and it gets a little like more just. It I does. Don't know. It does have a finish very similar to a cab, I would say. Right. Um, I'm I'm glad that it is the way that it is because I think I've talked about this before, but uh, beer that has cherries added to it can come off very medicinal at yeah, times. And yeah. this one does not do that. Uh, it's the cherries very subtle. The only thing that I think that I would want that this beer is not giving me is a little more chocolate. Yeah. Could use a little Yeah. More it's definitely the, with the nose already being more of that fruity kind of, I think that comes through a lot more. You're right. Than, than any of the kind of chocolate roasty stuff that we yeah. I could use a little associate. more of that. Yeah. But I mean, other than that, I think it's a, yeah. a very fine beer. And Anthony, I know you're not a huge craft <laughs> beer guy. Is it, was this palatable? Oh, could it you? was absolutely palatable, but right. I'll leave the beer discussion for the pros on this one. What all is right. your like normal go-to? Uh, if you I'm Are a, you a big uh, beer drinker I'm, at all? I'm a big he beer drinker, is. but Shiner. Okay. I am yeah. nice and simple. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. Quality you, stuff. You, yeah. you know what you like. You drink what you like. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. All right. So we'll, we'll take a little break here, um, cl- cleanse our palates. Can and, I get to the source material of Joker? <laughs> yeah. And, and get to that source material that we've already kind of referenced. When we return.
are going to discuss a 1982 Martin Scorsese film that Joker has been uh, compared to a great deal in many of the reviews and press coverage of it called King of Comedy, starring Robert De Niro and Jerry Lewis. Uh, but before that, I mean, you know what the deal is. Right. You, know, you, you don't listen to beer in a movie and think that we're just going to talk about movies <laughs> yeah. because we need beer in our glasses. So um, for the second half here, we have a beer from Smog City Brewing. And I, I thought I had this, but uh, Smog City is out of Torrance, California. I think this is the first time we've had this brewery on the podcast. I believe so. This is their 2019 edition. This is a limited release they do annually. It is called Infinite Wishes. It is their bourbon barrel-aged imperial stout. And this one, because, you know, we don't want to go down in AB. <laughs> <laughs> this one is 13.6%. I love that we brought somebody on the podcast that's not a big craft beer drinker. And we picked... Only the biggest and baddest beer so we could get. Um, yeah. It's almost like you planned it. it it's Yeah, it's almost like uh, we're predictable. Hon- honestly, we're- this is more my fault than it is David's because he was trying to pitch more. I was pushing a Pilsner earlier. <laughs> yeah, he that's- was trying to pitch more reasonable selections. But as anybody that listens to this show knows, one of my favorite things in life is a big, bad stout. That's right. And, and you age it in a barrel, all the better, right? All the better. All the better. So... Um, again, it is dark, <laughs> and uh, as these films are, right? We are not. It's not like in the second half we're going to lighter territory. Though I guess we, we can talk about it's whether lighter, King of Comedy. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay, because I, in one of the reviews I read about Joker, and I don't think I mentioned this, it said this movie is neither fun nor particularly deep and philosophical. So I don't know what it's supposed to be, you know? Because Joker isn't fun to watch. It's you're very you're anxious the whole time yeah because he no, never it stops is. laughing and he uh-huh. always looks like he's about right. to right we didn't really talk about that yeah they, they yeah. give this right the uncontrollable it's like medical condition nervous yeah, laughter it's, or it's not even nervous laughter it's just laughter that arises at odd times yeah, yeah. and does not reflect how he actually yeah. feels but because of that because you can see him in such distress yet laughing the entire film is like just one big like anxiety ridden thing that you sit through like i was anxious the whole time yeah 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 and i think even if like you aren't a naturally anxious person you're going to figure out what the rest of us feel like (laughs) (laughs) Uh, right whereas the i i do think king comedy is more fun in a way, but it is pretty dark. It so is I, pretty now, dark. I, yeah. I'll just say, so, so King of Comedy, you know, just to, to set it up, because this is one of the lesser seen uh, Morton Scorsese films. I think especially... It's a shame, I think. It, okay, I'm glad you agree. So the, you just saw it for the first time, right? Three this in the morning last <laughs> <laughs> Now, I remember I actually, way back in my grad school days, I remember I took a class on Martin Scorsese, the Ooh. films of Martin Scorsese. And, uh, Why don't they offer that in? <laughs> I don't think it's the right class. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm glad I took it. I would never want to offer that class. It's not really... If I was going to... I'm, I'm, anyway, we, we, could, we, <laughs> I we, should do, I we should probably do an episode on auteur theory at some point. But, uh, but anyway, it was, it was useful at least in getting me to go through this entire you know, sort of corpus of this filmmaker's work, yeah. read a lot of critical reactions to it, have these discussions with people. And this was one of the films in there that I just had not seen. I mean, I remember when I was coming of age as a film lover, 
you know, uh, probably the first stuff. I remember seeing the trailer for Goodfellas before that was a little before I could really be seeing R-rated films regularly. I mean, when did that come out? Like ninety one, yeah, early nineties, yeah. yeah. And so I was probably like twelve, thirteen when that trailer started showing. Young, youngsters, <laughs> but you're not that far along. <laughs> but but I remember being like so captivated just by the trailer, and I'm like, oh, I want to see that movie because you know it's like it features a lot of the scenes of the early Henry Hill. Yep. So, so I remember Goodfellas being there. And then probably not that long after that, uh, you know, people talking about Taxi Driver and seeing that, which we'll talk about in a little while, seeing that, going back and seeing, um, well, Casino, when that came out in the theaters, I, that was one of the first movies that I went to with Aaron when oh. we were dating. Yeah, my, and That's so, cute. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. That's how it is. That's it really she, is. She's kind of my Sharon Stone, right? I mean, <laughs> You're James Woods? <laughs> I was thinking more Robert De Niro. Okay, just, just checking. <laughs> and uh, and then I was, uh, you know, it, it, and then going back through the cat. I remember, you know, like Mean Streets, and you know, get, going uh, back and getting those VHS yep. cassettes at the at the rental store, and you know, going through. But King of Comedy was one that I didn't hit in that first, like, oh, Martin Scorsese is a really important director. I need yeah. to see all of his stuff. And but seeing it then, it really kind of shot. I'm like, I did not. Even though thematically it lines up with a lot of his other work, it takes it in such a different kind of direction. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like it's sad that it is one of these like underappreciated films in his in his oeuvre. That if you're going to be you know big into Scorsese, you may not even bother seeing. But I think that's kind of a sad thing because I think it's probably in some ways, his best film. I don't know. The, One of. Yeah. So, you, you you know, but you you start out basically, the, the basic idea is you have this sort of, uh, I don't even know how to describe him, this somewhat arrested in his development character, mm. Rupert Pupkin, played by Robert De Niro, who lives in his mother's basement, mm-hmm. um, who you never see, you only hear on screen, right? Which the mother. I love that. Yeah, that, that's kind of... So you, you have him, and he's obsessed with this late-night... Uh, talk show that which is clearly modeled after the tonight show yeah it's um, very carson-esque right with jerry lewis playing the character who is at the head of that show jerry langford yes exactly so jerry jerry you know you jerry know. jerry <laughs> come on jerry um and and rupert convinced that he can do that he could be a late night host he can be a comedian who delivers a dia- a monologue on uh, on late night television but doesn't want to do the work to actually get there. Instead yeah. wants to kind of leapfrog to where he's just showing up on the program and does so by like kind of haunting Jerry Langford and or stalking Jerry Langford. That's, yeah, that's stalk. probably Let's the call it stalking, yeah, yeah. right. That's um, an accurate description. Right. And then sort of strangely pairing up with another stalker of Jerry Langford's <laughs> uh, played by Sandra Bernhard so that uh, they can kind of... She was on Roseanne, right? She was later, yeah, but okay. right. So a few years, and she was like kind of well known as a performance. Yeah, she, artist, she was a comedian, comedian yeah. um, and it, she she's had some other roles over there. Yeah, but really strange kind of energy to her in whatever you see her in, which works really well for this role, Fantastic. where she's this yeah. kind of obsessed fan of Jerry Langford's, and um, and so they kind of team up to eventually sort of kidnap and hold hostage. Jerry Langford to allow Rupert Pupkin, the Robert De Niro character, to have his big break on the program 
um, while they're holding him hostage, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, it's it's kind of a simple premise of a film, but it plays out a lot because you're it's a character study. It's like you know mm-hmm. a lot of it is Rupert Pupkin, you know, scheming in his basement, doing all this. Although he doesn't, he seems so genuine and nice in some way, although very delusional. Yeah, in, yeah in totally many other deranged, ways. but he's not aware of it at all. I mean, he doesn't he, seem to be. He very genuinely thinks that this like one encounter that he has with this guy makes them good friends. Right. And acts on that assumption a lot. Well, well, okay. <laughs> but but again, you know, Langford, the the Lewis character, yeah. sort of he accommodates him, right? Yeah. Because he's kind of freaked out. But, you know, th- that opening sequence where you have... So the film starts out, and it's the crowd outside of this uh, the theater where they tape this show. And the crowd is kind of like, you know, going crazy as mm-hmm. Jerry Langford's exiting to go back home after he's taped the show. And they're, you know, getting in. And it's actually the Sandra Bernhard character is causing a bit of a commotion, jumps into the car. Quite a bit. Right. And then... And uh, Pupkin kind of very coolly helps move things along so that Jerry can get into the car by himself. But then Rupert slips himself in. Gets in there, And sort of, you know, presents himself. Langford for, you know, I think trying to just get through the thing and mm-hmm. and and move on it kind of just you know yeah 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 sure 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 yeah yeah, yeah. i'll listen because he's he's brought him uh well did, wait did he he's give like him, stuck in the car with him yeah he's stuck in the car and he's like you know oh i should be on your show i can be your show. And he's like oh yeah yeah yeah. bring a tape to my office and we'll listen to it and we'll we'll just let you know what we think yeah call my assistant right yeah. exactly so kind of putting him off in this very you know i don't know there's one thing that i absolutely have to mention sure the autograph book Mm. it's so funny watching this in 2019 because in that opening scene he de niro's character pupkin is pushing towards the front and people are like oh did you get this person did you get this like they're all like trying to get all these autographs or whatever and then there's the scene at the restaurant with with rita the Zazie Beetz character in this in this film, <laughs> right? Uh, who, who was actually um, he's uh, Diane Abbott, who was uh, De Niro's wife. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. yeah. They were actually married. I did not so. know that. Um, so yeah, it's the woman that he's kind of delusionally going after. Who he's able to sway her a bit more than Arthur Fleck is in Joker, but and you know he's like showing he's showing her all these autographs that he has in his book. <laughs> right. and it's so odd, like, to, you know, I know it was a thing at one point, you know. Mm-hmm. I even had, I think, had an autograph book at did some you? point in my childhood. I definitely remember uh, them. I, 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 I never did. maintained yeah. one, yeah. no. Um, I mean, I didn't have very many in there, but, you know, being a right. a radio kid, you know, bands yes, would come into town. Right. And, you know, every now and then. So so know, is that yes, totally lost, or do you still no have idea that somewhere? Oh, yeah, that's no sad. Idea. I mean, I probably... have cool autographs in there. I probably... I, it's not that important, but I, I probably stopped using it when I was like eight or That's something. That's interesting. Yeah, they, they, yeah, let's not get off on the tangent, but I wonder what the replacement of the autograph book is the these selfie. days. Selfie, it's yeah. a selfie. Yeah, it's getting a selfie with it. Okay. Yeah, Absolutely. And nobody cares about an autograph because now I feel like there's so... You can so, capture the moment in a... Well, and I... Yeah. And I also point. feel like there's so much um, stuff where like you can... Like, for instance, I... When we went and saw Corrosion of Conformity, yeah, on Wednesday, the three of us were all there, and I bought a Mothership record on my way out, and I said like, "Hey, can I, you know, get 
the most recent record or whatever, and they just handed me the, there was two options, just a normal copy and a signed copy. A signed copy was $5 more. So I was like, hey, can I get this? And they handed me a signed copy. And I was standing next to the guitar player at the time, and we were like chit-chatting and stuff, and he was real nice and yeah. you know, whatever. But I wasn't going to say like, oh, I don't want to sign. <laughs> but it's just like now, but that's now more of a thing, I guess, because of this era that we're talking about where people sought out autographs. Now people are just like mailing shit out with autographs. So it yeah. no longer means that you met the person face to face, but you can't deny a selfie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. Good point. All right. So, but that, yeah, that is, that is a funny sort of reminder of that moment uh, in time that it, that it's uh, capturing. Super odd. Yeah. But, but, but obviously like a lot about our obsession with celebrity and the way that we're thinking about um, one's access to celebrities and the closeness to it. I mean, it was funny rewatching it, um, and I think later on we'll get to some of the connections with with uh, Joker. But you know, for me rewatching it here just a few days ago, it really kind of struck me how it was sort of prescient about reality television in a way, like this this way that we're all kind of interested in, or not all, but very many of us are interested in this kind of access to the spotlight and how people will kind of do anything to kind of get there and it, even maybe almost, you know, go to the verge of embarrassing themselves in, in many cases, which is kind of like what Pupkin is doing, right, throughout yeah. the film. He's like, you know, like putting himself on the line, even though... You know, whether or not he's totally aware of how much he's, you know, you say, Carlos, that you're, you're pretty convinced that he buys into all of his own delusions. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I don't know. I think there are some moments where you can kind of see cracks, but but yeah, he buys in enough that he, that he goes through with them for sure. I mean, yeah, he's just like willing to sit in the waiting room for hours and hours and stuff, <laughs> you know, like. But There's... then, like, kind of harass people, too, and, and kind of know that, like, I don't know, like, even when people are, yeah, I guess, but that is buying into the delusion, right? <laughs> even when people are confronting you with, no, this is not going to happen, or even when Jerry Langford tells him point blank, yeah, I told you that so that you would leave me alone. Yeah, and he, he uh, gets thrown out of the building and then immediately says to Sandra Bernhardt's character, I didn't get thrown out of the building. Yes. <laughs> and, like, tries to justify it. You know, he, like... Yeah, he does very much seem to buy into it, right. and I think that the most interesting part about this movie is the obsession with celebrity, and yeah. I think that's what makes it a movie that endures even some of the things that may date it because that's something that has not gone away, right? You know, like, and I don't think it's going to, and so this now, movie will play well in 2019 the same way it did in '82. You know? Yeah. Well, one of the creepiest parts of that movie is his monologue when he actually gets to like so they you know he he holds Gary Langford hostage or actually it's Sandra Bernhard's character uh, Masha who is holding Gary Langford hostage um, though somewhat unsuccessfully ultimately yeah. they but abduct him together though. they abduct him together she's holding him while he's at the studio doing the taping or do, doing the broadcast and he's there and you know he does his performance, but then you actually see the aftermath where he's sitting with the cops, and then he, but he wants to go to a bar to watch it because they show it, you know, they tape it in delay, and then they then yeah. they show it. And so he goes to the bar. He's trying to flex, right, right, on this girl Rita, right. right. And so when you exactly, so he shows up at her bar, <laughs> yeah. puts it on the TV, stands on the bar, stands the on the bar, time. yeah, and and watches it. You know, isn't it strange how they? I mean, he isn't a totally inept comedian. He's actually... He's got some pretty decent jokes. He he has, like, thoroughly 
traditional, maybe, I guess you could say mediocre, but like, but working jokes. Yeah. I mean, they're not like, he doesn't under, it's not like he doesn't understand a joke. Arthur Fleck in Joker doesn't understand yep. jokes, yeah. right? He doesn't understand how to do the setup and the punchline and that, that doesn't work. Rupert Pupkin, on the other hand, yeah. and it's almost more unsettling that way. It's like, no, he kind of gets it, and he studied it, and he does actually understand how this all works, and he's able to get laughs when he's on camera. Yeah, he did. And ultimately, he is successful in some sense, although, as many critics have pointed out, how you read a lot of the film is pretty tough because early in the film they make it clear that a lot of what we're seeing is subjective, right? Yeah. Just like with with Joker. There's definitely where, some scenes of delusion. And exactly. Fantasy. Early on, you have him kind of acting out these meetings that he's going to have mm-hmm. with Jerry, where you'll see him in his mom's basement, and he'll be like, oh, Jerry, I can't take over the show for you. And then it cuts six to Six weeks! Them. I can't give you six weeks! <laughs> right. In a restaurant, having that actual conversation. Yeah. So, towards the end, where he's a success, right? And they actually, the audience loves him, and he comes back, it's like, well, is that true is that what happens in reality or is that what's happening in rupert pupkin's head while he sits in a jail cell having i thought the same thing yeah it's hard to tell right right but it but it's like the spinning top at the end of inception (laughs) i mean i mean it really is well and and giving us that it kind of lets us sit with you know that that kind of thought of okay well so what you know what what does this mean what is celebrity and and Mm. you know are we too obsessed with these people who just do things that are, you know, that really are bad behavior. (laughs) And yet objectively, we we just (laughs) are fascinated by it and we can't not watch it. And, and I don't know. So it, yeah, it it was really, it was great to revisit it, especially in light of Joker because it has so many uh, connections, but, but also because it seems like it's it's commentary is so, relevant still now and and i think the the idea of unreliable narrator yeah. works so well in king of comedy and yeah. th- that's where joker failed um, yeah so it was kind of trying to riff on that idea of well is this real is this not and yeah. it just joker failed miserably in it and that kind of questioning at the end of of um King of King, Comedy. Yeah. King Comedy. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I keep wanting to say King in New York. I'm like, no, not the, not the walk-in <laughs> movie. Uh, King of Comedy works. Like mm-hmm. you're, you, it, yeah. you genuinely are like, huh? You know, what's is, is this real? Is it not real? Yeah. yeah. Whereas Joker's like, eh, I don't care. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I didn't care. And but yeah, you kind of. Uh, but it was so. It is. It, you know, I think that part of what. So what, watching this right before I saw Joker. Like you um, saw it before. Yes. Well, because you know, I, I was, I think I was the one who suggested when we no, were going to do this. Like, okay, we should do because I was hearing people say, "Oh, it clearly has these kind of connections to King of Comedy," and and I think, um, you know, De Niro's presence in there, kind of playing a version of the Jerry Langford character. So it's it's funny to take a film where okay, we have this one actor playing this you know, sort of delusional character who, or deluded character who is um, obsessed with this other figure and and gaining sort of access to a certain kind of, you know, uh, position within the show showbiz or, you know, the entertainment industry, and then kind of flipping that with that same actor. That's pretty clever. Yeah. I would agree. Excuse me. Um, but 
you know, and I, and I think De Niro does a good job. We didn't really talk a lot in the first half about De Niro as Murray Franklin. I liked seeing him play that kind mm. of character. I thought it worked pretty well. It's interesting um, to know that they cut some of what was in the film with him. Yeah. Uh, and I only know this because of Mark Maron, where he's talked about... Cut the, the walk and talk. Yeah, well, because there were some scenes, clearly, that was more like behind the scenes of the show, where yeah. they were talking about, does this even make sense to have this guy who we're kind of making fun of come on the show and yeah. blah, blah, blah. We don't get any of that really in, no. in the, uh, in the film because everything is a Todd Phillips decision, right? Hit the decision to be like everything that happens is very much happening to Arthur Fleck. Yeah, so, which kind of makes it easier to be like, is this in his head or is right. this not right? Yeah. yeah. I guess we have to wait for the director's cut. The deleted scenes. The deleted scenes, because I think we got the director's cut. I mean, I think <laughs> that's true. what he wanted. Um, at, at least according, you know, to Marin's uh, mm. take on the way things played out. Right. I One thing I want to say about King of Comedy that doesn't really have a whole lot to do with Joker is that I think, and this may only be true of my generation, maybe not for either of you, but I think, man, I think we really take Robert De Niro for granted at this point because, man, he's fucking good in this. Well, movie. he, it, but he's he's kind of made that happen <laughs> through some choices over the years. I'm I not, mean, I'm not saying that he hasn't. I mean, but because I, I mean, I, I, I really appreciate Robert De Niro when he's in a good role. I think he's a great actor, but I think he's also chosen to do some questionable stuff over the Which last. One? I don't know. I mean, you know, on the one hand, I... I'm concerned about what you're about to say. I like comedy. Don't get me wrong. He's going to meet the parents. Oh, no, he's going to meet the parents. (laughs) No, I was actually going to go analyze this. Oh, that's a very good point, because those Those, are garbage movies. I don't... You know, I remember laughing at the first one at the time, and then at some point I saw the sequel, and at... And, it's not and it was close to, I was like, eh. And it, and it was weirdly timed, like right as The Sopranos was happening. And you also had this like more dramatic take on the, the mafioso and... psychology kind of thing where I'm like, yeah, that kind of, I'd, I'd rather see that than this. Yeah. And why does De Niro have to be doing this? So the, I think that was the moment We for got me. a good performance from Dwayne Johnson in the sequel, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I thought he was good. He's good in everything. Uh, what are you gonna, like, get, get, we, you we could put him in anything. <laughs> what are you going to do? But so anyway, I mean, it, it so I think though. I think a little of the luster has come off of Robert De Niro in you know like the last twenty years. But man, growing I'll, up, I'll I mean, just about anything yeah. I saw him in, God, so fucking was, good. Yeah, oh, yeah, even A Bronx Tale, right? Which he yeah. uh, he directed, fantastic. Uh, so movie. good. So you know, I'm I'm there with you. Like it's. It's great, and I hope that people do embrace Robert De Niro. I think he does a good job in this film, and I'm looking forward to seeing The Irishman. Well, you know, yeah. listen to an upcoming episode, whether or not... Has he gotten a Lifetime Achievement Award yet? I don't he know. Deserves That's it. a good question. Does, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's definitely won a couple Oscars, so he, he's, he's, been, he's been awarded for his acting, but whether or not he, he gets a Lifetime... He should have got an Oscar for a supporting actor for Meet the Parents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's, Meet the Parents he's is so not, good not a that. terrible film. I'm not... He's so good in I'm it. not going to ride that train of it, but anyway. I'll die on that hill. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, but King of Comedy even when it came out, was being compared to Taxi Driver, which yeah. had come out just eight years before that. Eight years? 
Yeah, I think it was 75, and then... So, wait, sounds com- about right. King, King Comedy, Comedy was, 82, was 83. 82. I thought it was... 80, it says... 1980. I mean, it was probably being shot in 82. It was released oh, okay. February 18th, 1983. And then... I think on Amazon it said 82, and that's why I thought that mm-hmm. when I rented it. Oh, fuck Jeff Bezos. It, 76. So February 76, almost exactly... Yeah. Uh, Seven, Wait, seven years. Seven years later. Okay. Yeah. So seven years later. So this film that had come just seven years before about another kind of loner character, <laughs> a much darker <laughs> that's, loner that's character. Dark. Yeah. <laughs> that um, has also forms of mental illness, though. I, I wouldn't say like what, what, now. You, Anthony, you were saying that you've over the years drawn on Taxi Driver yeah. as an example. So right? so. Taxi Driver did well what Joker did. In the slow descent to mental to to madness. Mm-hmm. Taxi Driver, whatever you read stuff, that's the one that they'll always sort of go to. That one works. Yeah. Whereas Joker really doesn't because mm-hmm. it's a I, lot of reasons. Yeah, a lot of a lot of reasons <laughs> yeah. why why the because I everything that I was reading about the Joker about Joker beforehand was oh comparing it to Taxi Driver and the slow descent and I'm like oh it's interesting because you usually see the snap. Yeah, and I'm watching. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. Like, right. I'm not getting a Travis Bickle vibe here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I talk about that character because they, there was a lot of, I mean, between the the young Jodie Foster and mm-hmm. some of the themes that were in that film, um, you know, his inappropriate dating. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Relationships. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> that, yeah. that... well in, in, but like the, um, misreading of social cue, oh. like a misunderstanding what's appropriate, what, mm. what would be inappropriate. Yeah. Trying to bring his date to a porn mm-hmm. film and that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but so I, I will reference that all those students. I mean, it, there's, there's no reference point for them unless I show them a clip from it. Yeah. They, they're like, uh, Right, yeah. right. Yeah, it's, I mean, but it is, like I said, when I was, so that, you know, in the early 90s, when I was getting to the age where I could actually seek out, like, those kind of films, the R-rated films or whatever, films that were more psychologically provocative and kind of, that uh, that it was one that was still being talked about. And that was, you know, almost 20 years mm-hmm. later as, as a film. That, and, and it's still, you know, I think it's still highly regarded critically, um, even if it's not as widely seen by by I mean, younger viewers, it was it was definitely one when I started diving deeper into you know film, not just movie going. Yeah, that was very high on my list of things I needed to see. Right. Um, yeah, a very early kind of film that I was like, okay, I'm interested in movie making as like an actual thing and not just like mindless entertainment what am i gonna see okay i need to see taxi driver okay i need yeah. to see you know whatever uh, right it was right. it was up there for 2001 me. yeah 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 uh I, 2001 stuck with me way more than taxi driver did <laughs> but um <laughs> but yeah i mean and that was you know i don't know 2009 or 10 yeah 2009 probably right. 2008 uh so i i think it's endured yeah you know the time or whatever but yeah um I I don't know I uh, I don't have a lot of thoughts and opinions about Taxi Driver. No, I mean it, I think as as a character study as as a film that just kind of takes you down this rabbit hole of what you know what can happen when somebody isn't processing the world in the way that they need to and 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 starts following some sort of dark urges that you know it it 
it's it's pretty disturbing. Now, I think what both of those films do, King of Comedy and Taxi Driver, better, one of the things that both of them do better than Joker is that they leave you feeling very unsettled. Mm-hmm. And Joker, on the other hand, as much as it's unsettling throughout a lot of it, as it builds towards its climax, it really, I think because it goes conventional at the end, bringing in the origin story of Bruce Wayne, bringing in the even the tap dancing on the car and the, and the stuff like that, I think that there is this kind of almost catharsis where it kind of brings you to this moment where... Okay, yeah, but we're in the comic book universe, and this is how Joker starts. And hey, now everybody yeah. knows who Joker is, you know, in this kind of celebratory way where, like, Travis Bickle, you don't feel that. Even though Travis no. Bickle strangely becomes this celebrated figure by society, you feel totally unsettled by it. It's like, yeah. he was that not motivated show. by yeah. good <laughs> stuff here. This yeah. Is, yeah. You know what I mean? He's, although, the fingers to the head, another reference <laughs> that was used there in the uh, um, in Joker. Yeah. In the Joker, yeah. <laughs> Um, it, and likewise with King of Comedy, you know, like Rupert Pupkin's success, it doesn't feel good, right? No. I mean, there's like, okay, do we really want to reward this kind of behavior, folks? Yeah. Yeah. I I almost, and I'm glad I didn't because of the beer we had in the first half of the episode, but my, I had a real temptation to um, be the one to bring the beer for that. And I was going to just bring a Modelo because it's just as kind of bland and empty <laughs> as the Joker kind of left me feeling. Okay. But I just, I just didn't feel really anything other than just kind of eh at the end of it with the exception of maybe like the skeeziness of the kind of conservative undertones of it. But other than that, I was kind of, eh, but yeah, you do feel unsettled at the end of taxi driver. You do feel yeah. unsettled at the end of King of comedy. Like those leave you with a certain thing rather than just like, is that it? You know, right. like there's a, not a catharsis, but a closure to those films that is not, doesn't make you feel good. Right. And leaves you thinking about stuff. Well, the, those films, both of them leave me feeling like, oh, this is, this is social commentary. This, this, this has a point of view. This does something. Whereas I feel like Joker is constantly wanting to be social commentary and then it's too afraid to do yep. it. Too afraid to do it and lands at a point at the end where it's like, no, but it was a comic book film all along. Yeah. Enjoy. I was I was listening to an interview with um, the DJ A track. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he was talking about some of his uh, deficiencies as like a technician when it comes to music production and things like that. And he referred to himself as an artist because he may not be the greatest at production. He may not know how to mix and master things the greatest. He may not know whatever, but he has a point of view. And the difference between an artist and a technician is that an artist has a point of view about something. And I feel like Todd Phillips shows his colors as more of a technician in Joker because he doesn't have a point of view in it. Like, he mm. really doesn't. And Scorsese does in these movies. Like, yeah. he has a very clear point of view, and he's not afraid to make the statement that he's trying to make. And yeah. Joker doesn't do that in the same way. When I, when I was trying to sort of wrap my head around it and, and knowing full well that I haven't seen Taxi Driver in 10 years and King of Comedy in probably 20... Um, I found a quote, and I've been waiting to drop this. I was, it wasn't, <laughs> All right, it wasn't, drop it. wasn't fitting anywhere, but it plays into something David just said. And this, I really think that this sort of hits Joker in terms of its deficiencies. And it called the Joker a cultural lightning rod that lacked the courage to do anything more than draw attention to itself. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. when I think about 
specifically uh, Taxi Driver. Like, they're Taxi Driver. Yeah. Well, in King Comedy. They both do something. And yeah. Like, and I like that idea between artist and technician. And yeah. I, I, I think that's where Joker fails. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it, it's, it, it's just so frustrating when something in so many ways taps into, you know, our obsession with superheroes, our obsession with antiheroes, our obsession with, you know, like all these things that are going on and yet arrives almost like nowhere new. I mean, it just, it kind of brings you back. Not even where it started, but farther back than where <laughs> Right, I was going to say, like it starts out more promising and by the mm. end of it, you're like, oh, wait, this yeah. is where you go? Whereas, you know, I think Taxi Driver and King of Comedy, yes, both of them were tapping into something that was, some things that were going on then, but actually take you somewhere. Yeah. And, and again, the, you know, not a place that's pleasant, no. but, yeah. but a place that gets you to think really hard about what, what it is that, uh, you know, we've set up for ourselves but, in society. But I also don't want it to seem like I, at least from from my perspective, that I didn't like Joker because it didn't make some kind of political commentary or some kind of social commentary. Or no, it didn't necessarily have to, but it set itself up that way. It did, which like fine if it didn't hit what that that expectation or whatever. But it also like wasn't fun. It wasn't like super enjoyable to watch. Right. It was. I- it had its moments. But, but I, I could but, have been fine with it, but, even if it was like totally unsettling and and dis- like I'm not you. We've talked about enough films at this point. Like films don't have to be fun. They don't have to be fun. But I think I mean High Life wasn't fun. High Life wasn't. Fun. <laughs> uh, but but it, it's not even necessarily about it being fun. It's about like, I mean I think in this case that's more of um, that's more relevant than talking about High Life or something like that. But. I think for me, like, I can't, like, like the only thing keeping me invested in a movie can't be, okay, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? If all I care about is what's going to happen next, and that means that I'm not enjoying the actual moment that we're in, yeah. which means that there is something lacking in what the filmmaker is doing at that point in time, and I feel like I got kind of bored during Joker at times, because mm-hmm. I felt as if, okay... Can we get through this so I can see what happens next? Maybe something more interesting is going to happen in the next one. Or maybe this movie is going to take a turn that's more interesting. And I just kept feeling that way the entire time. And so the lack of any kind of real philosophical or anything interesting intellectually combined with the kind of vapidness of the filmmaking, the kind of lack of any real interesting narrative points overall makes you leave the theater at least for me you know disappointed and kind of unfulfilled if at least there were some really really fun moments throughout or really captivating sequences that weren't just you know slow motion walking scenes or like whatever you know i mean the most interesting the movie got was at least for me was probably when just like seemingly out of nowhere he just like brutally murders randall Mm. in front of the other guy yeah when that happens you're like oh shit like and that was the most interesting scene for me not because i was like really psyched to see him kill this dude but because the whole time i'm thinking like oh shit if you're this other guy just watching like what do you do yeah what are you what is i was like i I was empathizing with that character because i was like holy shit man i would be 
freak the fuck <laughs> out if I was him. Especially because he's, you know, a much smaller man and, like, is not able to defend himself against Arthur. Even no, you're right. You're and right. I'm just like, fuck, can't even dude. Can't even let himself out yeah. of his apartment. Dude, I would... Oh. Dude, I would be so freaked if, and, and and that was the most compelling scene for me. Meanwhile, the people next to me are laughing, and one of them leans over to the other and is like, "Oh, he can't even open the door," and I'm just like, "Oh Uh-oh. man, <laughs> this is rough." Like, yeah. And so even I almost was deprived of my interest in that scene or my like empathy with that character because of these people kind of ridiculing him to the right of me, and it was just like, <laughs> "Oh shit." Yeah. But. Yeah. At, at least, at least in the in the King comedy is the one I can speak to the most accurately since I've seen sure. it the most recently. I mean, you have there's plenty of those characters in those scenes where you're like you feel bad for the receptionist or the producer's assistant, or you're like, oh yeah. shit, like poor Rita, like she's at this guy's vacation <laughs> yes, home, like thinking yeah. she was invited, yeah. and she's just like mortified when she realizes that they right. just like showed up unannounced and yeah. stuff. Like there are those like human elements to keep you yeah. engaged yeah. with what's happening. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no. I, I, and Joker falls short of most of those yeah. moments. Yeah. It, well, it's, it, yeah, again, I think it's, you know, trying to bring the taxi driver slash king of comedy approach to these kind of dark character study films into the comic book world. I think compromises were made, but then also I think what you've been saying, Carlos, I ultimately, you're winning me over, my friend, you're winning me (laughs) over. That I, even if I was on the fence earlier, like the the more I think about it, the, the less happy I am. Like, you know, the political commentary element, the social commentary falls really flat. What about the beer? Did it fall flat? I don't want to say it falls flat. <laughs> but, you know, having it back-to-back with the Velvet Tuxedo, yeah. I am underwhelmed by the uh, Infinite Wishes. I agree. I'll say, yeah. body-wise, it's a little lacking. It's a mm-hmm. little thin. Um, it's kind of, str- like, bourbon barrel-aged stouts, they're going to be a little bit boozy. Mm-hmm. But, like, the booziness is kind of that weird like hot alcohol you know like that that kind of like when you when you're when you're drinking hard liquor you know what i mean like the kind of heat that you get off that i'm getting more of that than i like to on a bourbon barrel age thing i don't know it's by no means a bad beer no i would happily drink this again but having it side to side with the velvet tuxedo from westbrook and uh was it three sons yeah three sons um it I think that by far is my my favorite for the episode. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's tough, you know, going up against something that's as robust as that Velvet Tuxedo was. Yeah, um, yeah definitely not a bad beer, but not nearly as complex in flavor. Yeah, yeah. Or as full-bodied. Right. And there's a little bit of that chocolate. But it, yeah, it really is just giving me more of that like kind of booze flavor than I want it to, so... Well, you know, not a total disappointment like the Joker was. <laughs> no. <laughs> or I should say Joker. It's not yeah, the it's Joker. It's not. There's yeah. no Joker. the at the beginning yes, of the that's title. Right. It's uh, just Joker. Very uh, sly high fidelity reference for those of you remember that throwaway scene from that movie. Um, I know 100%. That some of our listeners did not agree with our. Team. Hey, hey, come on, bring it, bring it. So, I mean, this is we're we're, we're not we're not the uh, high overlords of film uh, opinions. As Anthony Fantano says, 
you know this is just my opinion, right? Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you so go. So if you're one of those that strongly disagrees with us, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Beer Movie Show. You can find us on Instagram at Beer and a Movie. And you can find us on Facebook.com slash Beer and Movie TX. Of course, Beer and a Movie Podcast.com is our home base. You can find links to listen to this episode and all of our previous episodes there. Uh, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. Subscribing helps you stay abreast on all of uh our new episode postings that mm-hmm. go on and if you rate and review that's very helpful for us we know you're going to give us a five star rating obviously so uh but also leave a review tell us what you like what you don't like what you want to see more of that really right. uh does a lot to help us uh program our future content and decide what movies we're going to see what throwback kind of episodes we're going to do themed episodes all that kind of stuff um it's all very helpful um but until next time I'm just now realizing that I've thought of my life as a tragedy when really it's a comedy. <laughs> <laughs>